Hi, I'm Jessica, and when I'm not drinking all the coffee, watching Razorback sports, or hanging out with my family of boys, it's my passion to help elementary music teachers just like you find your unique teaching style. My goal with this podcast is to share helpful tips, strategies, and to give you the motivation you need to gain momentum in your teaching so you can continue being the music teacher rock star you already are. Hello, everybody. Okay, so it's April, right? Or if you're listening to this later on and it's not April for you, you can totally still relate to this topic I'm going to talk about. The dreaded conversation about classroom management. Oh my goodness, you guys. Okay, so since it is April, as I'm recording this, I'm going to talk about strategies right now for the end of the school year, but also for getting started at the beginning of the school year and how to set up a good classroom management system in your elementary music class. It's easier said than done. You learn these strategies in college if you are a music education major or if you're any education major for that matter. Um, If you're teaching music as a professional musician and you did not have a background or take any courses about classroom management, then it can sometimes be a little tricky. And um, what works in one school will not necessarily work in another school. And what works with one student will not necessarily work with another student or class. What works with the class won't work with another class. Um, That's the tricky part, especially being, I feel like, an elementary music teacher is since you more than likely see every student in your school, um, you are having to adapt your classroom management in, in a lot of different ways per student and per classes. And so it can get frustrating. It is hard. It is something that as musicians and music teachers, you don't necessarily enjoy doing, but you know it it is needed for you to be able to teach music to your kiddos. So I want to just give you a little bit of um, insight in what worked for me. (laughs) And especially I feel like since I, my background is at a school where I had um, major fights like when I'm talking hair pulling, um, the beads from their hair flying across the room, chairs being thrown when I first got to this school type of fights. It was definitely a wake up call because I knew, okay, this cannot this cannot happen. This is not okay. This is not what I signed up for. And so I had to develop quickly. I mean, like I had to have been like that day, um, strategies for teaching classroom management and implement it as soon as possible. So here's what I'm going to talk to you about. The first thing I want to say is procedures. Oh my gosh. And that is something that is also something where you're probably rolling your eyes right now like, uh, I hate procedures. And I, I completely understand. And what I want to say is procedures is something I feel like that is drilled at the beginning of the school year. And if you're listening to this at the beginning of the school year, then awesome. You're going to be set up to start your year off wonderfully. But it's something that procedures need to be practiced all year long. And I feel like a lot of the frustration at the end of the school year is because teachers are exhausted and the students are like monkeys out of a cage running around like at a zoo and so procedures are sometimes forgotten or on top of that you have so many programs and state testing um, at the end of the school year and you're being asked to do a lot of extra things or 
being asked to keep the kids quiet. And it's just, you know, there's a lot thrown, on, thrown at you. And I do realize that. So here's the procedures I feel like are important to practice. Okay, so entering the classroom. Okay, are you going to meet the kids in the hallway with their teacher standing there? Or are they going to walk in your classroom and you meet them in there? Have, just have a procedure. However you want it done, you need to have a procedure for entering, for the kids entering the classroom. Have a procedure for them walking to their seats. Whether it's the risers, chairs, a carpet on your floor, um, them just sitting on the floor, them coming in to stand. However you start your class time, the kids need to know what your procedure is for that. And here's one thing I'm going to say about that. One thing that worked like magic with my kids is if they did walk in my classroom and they knew how to walk into my classroom and they knew how to walk to their seats, if that class chose to not do that procedure, you probably know where I'm getting at. We would completely turn around, walk out of the classroom and stand in the hallway until, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Like I said, you maybe don't need to get that drastic, but the school I taught at yeah, I needed to go there with these kids because they, they needed to know, like, you're not going to come in and act that way. So after you practice the procedure, maybe one to 25 times, and they, <laughs> I'm kidding, but you know what I mean, and they get to their seats, you have in, um, instrument procedures. That goes for any instrument, whether it's the teeniest of finger symbols all the way through, you know, your biggest xylophone. Have procedures for how to get the instruments, what to do when they play their instruments, how to put the instruments away. What do they do with their hands when they put the instrument down in front of them? Um, what are they supposed to do when they're trading instruments with a partner or whatever you're doing with instruments? Have a procedure for literally every single minute thing you think would not need a procedure. It, the more procedures you have in place, the better your classroom management will go and the easier the teaching will be, I promise you. So when you, you know, you learn, okay, have an instrument procedure. Well, a lot of times you're just going to develop a procedure for how to get the instruments and how to play them. No, I have, I, you know, procedures need to go for, like I said, walking to the instruments. I, I'm telling you, if my students went to get an instrument and they were playing them on the way back to their seat, they would put the instrument up and then they would just use an air instrument that day. That I'm telling you that works because what happens is the next time you have that class, that student will remember, oh, wait, or sometimes you just give them, you know, like eye contact, <laughs> nonverbal communication, and that particular student may be that student that's always forgetting, quote unquote, the procedures. And um, you can't see me, but I was doing air quotes. <laughs> but, um, but they're going to remember, oh, wait, if I play this on the way to my seat, Miss whatever Smith is going to make me put this back. And so a lot of times just having them not be able to use an instrument just one day will correct that issue. So other procedures. If you do movement activities or folk dances in your classroom, have procedures for how to choose a partner. You're always going to have the kids that are like, I don't want that partner. Ooh, they're yucky. I don't want to stand by this boy, whatever. But have procedures for that. How are you going to have the kids pick a partner? Is it going to be you You play um, a drum beat and they have that many drum beats to walk to a partner? Is it they're assigned a partner? Is it, uh, I don't know, whatever your procedure is for finding a partner or for that matter, a small group. Like if you're doing like a, you know, a, a game or activity that involves four kids. Um, okay, so let's see what else. Expectations for singing. What do you do if they don't sing? What's your procedure for that? What's your procedure for if they sing silly? You know, have a procedure for everything. 
And then when they're supposed to talk, what do they do when they have a question, when, when they're supposed to be quiet, um, behavior procedures, and then leaving the classroom, just like coming in. All right. So, and then in the, um, in the podcast notes, you'll see a link to Three Ways to Practice Procedures, a blog post I wrote about that, and then also a blog post I wrote about classroom management strategies. And so make sure you read both of those because they'll give you a lot more insight. Okay, so um, I want to, you've probably heard the phrase before, practice what you preach. What I mean by that is if you tell a child, um, I'm going, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to take your instrument away if you play it one more time, and then they do, and then you don't take it away, the respect factor is kind of going to be gone a little bit because you did not follow through. So if you tell them you're going to do something, make sure you do it. And yeah, using one child as an example, not only will that one child learn to not do that behavior again, but another thing is the rest of the class is watching and they're going to be like, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm going to definitely follow this procedure. Is it always going to be perfect? No. Am I saying this is going to solve every issue in your classroom? Absolutely not. But it will make it go a lot smoother. I promise you. And it does take time and it takes consistency. Consistency is the main thing here is you being consistent and doing what you say, practice what you preach. Okay, so classroom management that works. We talked about you're always going to have that one or couple difficult students, or you may have a difficult class. That happens. There's going to be a fourth grade class that you come in and they're just like constantly on um, procedures, doing everything you ask, constantly just fun to teach. And then you're going to have another fourth grade class come in that you're like, what in the world happened? <laughs> How are all these kids paired up together? And it's going to be very hard that those are the classes you just got to stay consistent with. But so let's talk about like your one behavior problem child. And I don't like using that, but I mean, let's be honest. That's what I mean. Um, so this kid will be the one that'll say things like, I don't care if you call my mom. And then you're going to be like, okay, I don't really want to stop teaching right now. I know if I walk to that phone, the rest of the class is going to be staring or getting out of control behind me. What do I do? So one time, use this child as an example, walk them to the phone, call their mother, put that mother on the phone with them, hang the phone up, and get right back to teaching. And this child, well, I promise you, you're going to see some respect. I saw these kids turn around where they would be my biggest problem behavior, behavior problem children, and then after getting... The parents, there's a couple reasons to call the parents, okay? It's either um, t- for them to honest, well, obviously talk to their child, but also they see that you are not going to put up with it and they're on your team. These would be the parents that would be immediately like, oh, no, you're going to respect her. That's enough. Um, not all the time. You get some parents sometimes, and unfortunately, where you call them and you're going to hear, oh, my child would never do that. That doesn't happen. That happens. But you know what? They at least saw that you're going to call their mom and they're going to respect you. Okay. And then um, we talked about practicing procedures. Do not be afraid of practicing procedures. If you need to sometimes take a whole class period in your class, like I mentioned, that fourth grade class, for instance, is having a very off day and nothing you do is working and they've forgotten every single procedure, um, then just practice procedures. If it takes 20 minutes that that class period and it moves behind what you were going to work with them on, then practice procedures. That's okay. 
because obviously they need to refresh your course. And then they're going to come in the next time and be like, okay, I don't want to do that again. That was boring. Right? Okay. And then my favorite classroom management strategy is to use sticker charts. There are so many, because this is a positive thing, right? We've talked about some of the negative things. And um, I didn't really get into disciplining because that's kind of a personal opinion. And a lot of times schools will have their own systems of doing things with behavior, um, you know, like warnings or, like I said, calling parents or um, like every teacher sends to each class like a clip chart and the kids can clip down or up based on their behavior or whatever your school does or your classroom management strategy for behavior is completely up to you. But positive behavior-wide, this actually works two ways. What I did was sticker charts. And what you do is you have one sticker chart per grade, per, I'm sorry, per class. And the kids start out with three stickers on their chart as they come into class. They either keep those three stickers until the end of class or they will lose one to two to all three of those stickers. And the reason this works is they want to, they are motivated. I don't know why stickers with kids, even my fifth graders, like this is a big deal. I don't get it. But you kind of turn it into a competition. Kids are competitive. And what you do is it's not like, okay, well, look, your class got 45 stickers and this class only got 20. What it is is it's a competition with them. And you explain to them, you're only competing against your class because the deal is like, I don't know, say you need to earn 30 stickers by the end of the nine weeks. And then if some classes will go way over that limit and some will just reach the mark. Okay. Because we talked about how every class is different. And those classes that only get to 30, they're going to be so proud of themselves because they're the classes that have to work harder at their behavior. And so then you reward them with something like, um, I don't know, like, a day they get to bring their CDs in, school appropriate, obviously. Or maybe you don't have time to do that full class period because you have a lot to do. So you say, okay, for the first 20 minutes of the class period on Friday the 27th, you can bring in your CDs and we'll listen to however many we can get to. Everybody gets to pick one song in those 20 minutes or whatever, or have a dance party or whatever you decide to do to reward them. But positive, positive reinforcement um, as it goes for classroom management, goes a long way to negate the negative behavior. So I hope you got a lot out of this, and I hope this was helpful. This was just my little insight into classroom management. And so I mentioned those two blog posts I included, but also I just created a brand new free cheat sheet. That's hard to say, cheat sheet about classroom management in the elementary music classroom. And in that, it's just mentioned some things we just talked about, just some bullet point things for you to kind of get started with if you're struggling with classroom management or just needing some new ideas that should be able to help you a little bit. Okay, so I hope you guys have a great day and I will see you or I'll be back on here soon. All right, bye. Thank you so much for listening in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, I would love for you to review the show and leave a rating on iTunes. To find out more about how I can help you gain momentum in your elementary music teaching career, head to thedomesticmusician.com where you'll find free downloads, courses, the blog, and so much more. Continue teaching music and never doubt the impact you're making each and every day in the lives of your students.